you here at RUF. Um, was supposed to do this last week, but kind of flip-flopped the weeks, but better late than never. So this week, our, our verse is from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not teach him. You are a hiding place for me. You, pres- you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We're going to look at Psalm 32, and this evening we're going to look specifically at verses 3 through 8. Just verses 3, excuse me, 3 through 7, actually. And if you turn in your Bibles or you're using an app on your phone or it's there for you and what's been printed out, we're going to be focusing on verses 3 through 7. And I will say this, before we get started, there's, there's two things I, I hope that happen as you read this text. And the first one is that your heart would be encouraged. If you remember, we're reading the psalm of a man who was a king, right? And if you're a king and you have a position of power and authority and status, one of the first things I'm sure that you want to do is make sure that you're keeping up your image. And one of the things that David does here is is he encourages us, he encourages me, and I hope he encourages you with an open heart. He's a king, yes, but he's going to open about the sin that he has committed So he can counsel you, counsel me, instruct us in the way we should go, point us towards the gospel. So if you're a believer here tonight, I hope that King David in this text is an encouragement to you. And as you read this text, that maybe there's someone in your life, I know you've been talking about relationships on Wednesday nights, that that you would have a relationship that someone who's discipling you or mentoring you, they would also encourage you because they have an open heart about the struggles and sins that they walk through as well. I hope that if you're here tonight too, and maybe you're not someone who's a follower of Jesus yet, you're curious about it, or you came because a a roommate invited you or a classmate invited you, I hope that you're encouraged by this psalm in Psalm 32, because one of the things that you see in David, and something maybe sadly that you've experienced from the Christian community at times, is that sadly we can be quick to point the finger at other people's sin. And tonight what you see with David, he's an encouragement because he's the first to quickly point at his own sin. And that's, that's healthy. That's good. So even if you're here this evening and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, hopefully that's encourage, encouraging to you that you see a man whose heart is open about his own weaknesses and struggles. But he's not just encouragement to us. I hope that you see he's an example to us. He's an example to me and to you of what an open heart looks like, of what a transparent heart looks like, that someone who's been so grasped 
by the enormity and extravagance of God's grace that he's just totally open. And he can say, listen, if if me being open about my sin and struggle can help you, then I want to be all about that. Hopefully that can be an encouragement to us as well. So I want it to be an encouragement and example as we look at David tonight. As we look at these verses 3 through 7, we're going to see that David had an exhausted heart, that he has a confessing heart, and last, that he has an inviting heart as well. But let me pray as we get started. Father, we come before you. We know that you have spoken through your word in the past. We have it right here in front of us in our hands. Father, we know also that your word says that you continue to speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, we pray that, that all of us tonight, all the things that are going on in our lives, that tonight you would help us hear the voice of our good shepherd calling us closer and closer to himself. So, Father, even through this text, would you show us your son, Jesus Christ, even through the life and heart of King David. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to look first at David having an exhausted heart. You can see this in verse 3 in your text. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. There's two reasons I think that David has an exhausted heart, and I think there's two reasons that I often have an exhausted heart, and and maybe even you have an exhausted heart spiritually. And it comes from two different things. It comes from either indulging in sin or trying to manage sin on our own. Listen, something has happened in David's life. We know that he has sinned in this psalm. He's being open about that. He's saying, listen, I went in that direction. I gave in to those things. And it didn't give what it promised. It actually exhausted me. So here's something that we learn from King David and all throughout Scripture. Sin is never going to come to your heart and say, let me deaden your relationship with God. Let me really fill you with guilt and shame. Let me make you more selfish and more selfish. Let me make you feel discouraged and powerless. Sin will never approach you that way. Sin will come, in, come to you and say, just come this way. I'm pleasurable. Just come this way. It's helpful. Do this. It's sensible. Sin always presents itself as life-giving. And David is saying, I believed its lies. And it's life taking. It exhausted me. It's like you can see David. He's looking at Bathsheba. He's on one roof. He sees her on another roof and he's saying, man, oh, it's so, look, I'm just going to give myself over to this right now. And it destroys him. Sin didn't say that's what it was going to do. It was going to say this will be pleasurable, fun, life-giving. And David says it was anything but and it has exhausted me. Learn from my example. Sin promises to be life-giving, but it's life-taking. Sin can be exhausting when we give in to it. It's also exhausting when we try to manage it on our own. You can see that he says in verse 
5, he says that he did not cover over or hide his iniquity. In other words, there was a point prior to that where he's saying, I got to use all my energy, all of my focus to try to hide what I've done. I got to hide my, my anger, my impatience, my lust, my lies, whatever it is. Sometimes sin is as simple as living for your own purposes and your own power, living life with your own perspective. When God has made you to live for his purposes and his power, seeing life in his perspective, but when we give in to sin in that direction and try to manage it on our own, it's exhausting. And David is saying, my strength was wiped out. I had an exhausted heart. And if you indulge in sin or try to manage it on your own, it will exhaust you. Just trying to hide it. Listen, sometimes you can be confident. So sin also says, you know, if you get into a little bit of trouble, a little bit of hardness of heart, it's manageable. You can fix it. So early on in confidence, you might say, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to get that much of a grip on me. Listen, it wants to take you down. You can't confidently say, I have this. Or in despair, sometimes we think, I have to fix this. I have to make this right. I've got to get rid of this in my life, and I have to do it. That will lead you to despair. And David was saying, I despaired to the point where all of my strength was gone. Let me pause and step back. Uh, some of you know the Niagara Falls area and the Niagara River that goes up in northeast uh, part of the United States. In the early 1900s, there was a, an electric company that purchased some land right by the river, and they dug an enormous ditch that was about 26 miles long. Really deep. They were going to fill it with water, make some turbines, make some electricity, make a lot of money. They never finished the project. So who wants to buy this plot of land with an enormous ditch? Well, in comes the Hooker Chemical Company. 1920s, they said, we'll buy it. This is when there were no regulations. And so the Hooker Chemical Company says, this pit is going to be so ideal for us to pour all of our chemicals into, our waste chemicals. It'll be wonderful. And so for 30 years, they pour chemical after chemical after chemical in this ditch. And finally, it starts to get a little bit of a smell. They start noticing this probably isn't a good image for us to have all these chemicals in this ditch like this. We're going to cover it over. So these millions of gallons, these thousands of barrels, they take bulldozers and they bulldoze it all over with one foot of dirt. One foot. And they were kind enough. The city was growing and they said, listen, you see all this land that's nice and pristine? We'll sell it to you for $1. And in 1950, the Hooker Chemical Company sold all that land to the city for $1. They built school on it, schools on it. Homes, neighborhoods, about seven or, year, seven or eight years later, guess what? People started getting sick, real sick. There started to be this stuff coming up from the ground, and the actual scientific word from it for it at the time was black goo. Everybody was really concerned, but they went back to the Hooker, Hooker Chemical Company, and they said, it's no big deal. It's safe. Don't worry about that. There's no problem. People still were sick. And it took them 20 years to finally admit, maybe there is a problem. So they did some tests. And they found in the ground over 400 fatal chemicals in that ditch oozing out. 
And they kept on trying to cover it over. And they actually kept on trying to cover it up, saying, it's not that big of a deal. We got it. We can fix this. Listen, it eventually took the government billions of dollars to fix it. I use that illustration because it's so often the case that there can be this stuff inside of our hearts and we can just say, if I just cover it over with just about a foot of dirt, just something to make it look clean, look nice, it's just not that bad. And if something does come out, I can fix it. You can't fix it. David is saying, I tried to fix it on my own and it exhausted me. So the question is tonight, in light of David having an exhausted heart, is do you have an exhausted heart? Is there sin that you know of that, that you're indulging, that it's promising life, but you know deep down it's taking life from you? And because it's so scary to be open and honest with, with God and with others, it's, i got to fix this. i got to get rid of this in my life. How, how do I do this? And it's exhausting to you. Well, the good news tonight is that David isn't just out showing us his exhausted heart. He's also showing us a confessing heart. You can see this in verse 5. Notice what he says here in verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. So we'll stop there for just a moment. Some of you have heard uh, the story of the hunchback of Notre Dame. Have everybody heard that? Seen the, seen the Disney movie? Read the book? Okay, I think the book is a lot better. We're all familiar with the hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo, right? I mean, he's disfigured. Nobody likes him. He's kind of the disgrace of the town. Well, the love of his life, if you remember, is sweet Esmeralda. Esmeralda, she doesn't like Quasimodo. She likes Phoebus. Phoebus is the Captain America of his day. Everybody loves Phoebus. But at some point, Phoebus goes missing. And Phoebus is not a good man. Phoebus goes missing. The whole town thinks, well, because he didn't tell anybody, he must have been murdered. Who murdered him? Well, all the people could think of was the last person they saw him with was Esmeralda. So they put her on trial for murder, saying, we know you did this. This is back in the day where it was fine to torture somebody until they confessed, and so they begin torturing her. It's extremely painful, and just to make it stop, even though she knows, so sorry, spoiler alert, that she didn't do it, she says, I did it. I did it. You know, what's interesting is you find out later on that he had just kind of gone off on a trip on his own, and he's actually still alive. But here's what the judge said. In confessing, you have only to experience, or only to expect death. Now listen, I use that to say it's often the case that the reason we still try to hide from God or the reason we keep our distance from him when we know there's a real struggle with sin in our life is because we're, we're convinced that he'll be like that judge. If you confess, he's going to bring it down hard on you. You have only to expect death. Listen, if we have an inaccurate or inadequate view of the character of God, we will stay distant from God. Uh, John Calvin was a reformer during the Reformation days, and one of the things that he said was, sin will try to paint God as only a judge. Is God a judge? Yes. Is he only a judge? No. 
Another favorite theologian of mine, John Owen, in the 17th century, said that sin will try to paint the heart of the Father as harsh towards sinners. And listen, if that's the case, and you don't know how merciful God's heart is, you might read this text and you might expect it to say something like this. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you made me do ten laps around Mount Sinai to do penance. You made me run for five miles on broken Legos with no shoes. It's painful. I'll tell you, I got kids. There's Legos all over the place. You looked at me with disgust and shame and you turned your back when I confessed my sin. You see, I love that that's not what the text says if you look at it with me. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And notice what it does say. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, when you know the heart of God and the depths of his mercy towards those who have sinned, not only do you see your sin more clearly, that it exhausts you, but you know that you have the freedom to confess it because he will forgive you. He promises to. And so when you do know the character of God, you will feel the freedom to confess, no longer to hide. He says, I did not hide or cover my iniquity. I confessed my transgressions to the Lord. If David could say that in the Old Testament, when all he saw was sacrifices at the tabernacle and all those different things, how much more can you and I see how faithful God is and view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we all just have to acknowledge that that car alarm's going off right now. But David knows the depths of God's mercy back then. How much more do you and I know it now in light of Christ's coming, in light of his living, in light of his dying, in light of his being resurrected to pour out mercy and forgiveness to any and all who ask. And so you'll see there's kind of different ways that are qualities about the confession that he brings. As a confessing heart, his confession is comprehensive. You'll notice the language that he uses. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you, all the ways I've fallen short. I did not cover my iniquity, those things inside me that are bent and disoriented and wrong. He said, I confess my transgressions, those ways when I knew your law and I willingly and knowingly went over. I confessed it all to you. He's saying, listen, as much as I know my heart and what's inside, I confess it all to you. And David is saying, our confession can look the same way. It's not just comprehensive, it's also personal. You'll notice that he says in verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's personal. Here's the thing that we see ever since Genesis chapter 3. It's so easy to blame other people. To blame other people that we have relationships with, to blame God, to blame circumstances, whatever it is. And David here says, no blaming. God, it was me. It's all me. It's comprehensive. It's personal. It's relational. 
You can see he's not, he's not confessing to the air. He's confessing to the living God. He says this, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Do you see that it's safe tonight, not only to acknowledge that your heart can be exhausted by sin, but that you can confess your sin? David is, is encouraging us, saying, you can confess to God. And he's an example in saying, this is what it can look like. Just an invitation to me today to say, what, what do I need to confess to the Lord? What do you need to confess this evening to the Lord, knowing that he will forgive you? Again, jo Jonathan, uh, excuse me, John Owen, he said, when God forgives, his forgiveness, three words, immediate, free, and full. You'll notice that when he says, and I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you made me wait a day or two to figure how, see how you wanted to figure it out. It's immediate. He didn't wait. There's no timeline. It's free. There's no conditions attached. I confess my sin. He forgave. It's not, I'll forgive you if and then. It's he forgave, free. And notice that Owen says it's also full. If you're confessing all this sin to the Lord and he doesn't say, I'll, okay, this 90% over here I'll forgive, but this 10%, it's so bad. There's just no way. I can't get over that. All of it. Immediate, free, and full. He had an exhausted heart. He has a confessing heart. Because you'll notice that he doesn't want to keep it to himself. He has an inviting heart as we look in verse 6. He says, therefore, let everyone offer a prayer to you. Or excuse me, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He has an inviting heart. He experiences God's forgiveness. Now he has to express it to everybody he knows. I hope that the, you have a relationship with someone in your life that can acknowledge as a mentor or someone who's discipling you, listen, here's how sin exhausts me. Here's how God's mercy invites me to confess. But brother or sister, let me invite you into the presence of this God who also promised to show you mercy as well. You'll notice that it's a very passionate invitation in verse 6. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly Offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. You see, godly here in this text doesn't mean maximally rel religious and minimally rebellious. That's how we often think about godly. Godly for David is anyone who has a sense of the sin inside and their need for mercy that only God can give. And he says, therefore, let everyone, everyone in this room, Freshmen who might be struggling to make wise decisions with the newfound freedom that college brings after leaving parents and home. Sophomores who may have found themselves for one reason or another, who knows why, you know, walking down a path that you know is unwise and it's distancing yourself from God. Juniors or seniors who, who still are struggling with sin patterns in your life, whatever they may be, David says, let 
everyone offer a prayer to him while he may be found. It's a passionate invitation. And you'll notice it's also a personal invitation. David himself, the king, is inviting you to join him to experience what he's experienced. Listen, have any of you been to Colorado? Yes, lots of hands. I love that. Okay, my first trip to Colorado was when I was 16 years old. I was going to see my sister at University of uh, Colorado State. First time I saw the mountains, I mean, it just would have been awkward if you would have seen me because it was just like mouth, you know, wide open, just, you know, couldn't take it all in, right? And I kid you not, I was so overwhelmed by the beauty and bigness of those mountains every single year since then. I've taken a group of people out there during the summer that haven't seen those mountains just so I can see them go, wow, right? And I love it. I love seeing their faces. You know, David's doing that too. He's saying, listen, I've seen the enormity of God's grace. I've experienced the extravagance of his mercy. Even though I had sinned so big and his grace was bigger still, will you go there with me into the presence of this God? It's a passionate invitation. It's a personal invitation. And he gives you three reasons here briefly for seeking him. The first one is there is no condemnation when you come to him. You notice the the imagery that he says here. He says, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. The waters of justice and judgment. They won't even get close. No condemnation. That's what Paul says in the New Testament in light of the work of Christ on our behalf. That when you come to him and say, here it all is, no condemnation. Also divine preservation. Notice what he says. Verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You know, one of the things that we've done ever since we've broken God's law in Scripture is we hide from God, we hide from God, we hide from God, and we hide from God. But when David gets a taste of his grace, he hides in God. You are a hiding place for me. Safest place for me to go when I have blown it the heart of God. Safest place to go is the heart of God. He went from hiding from God to hiding in God. His heart will always be the safest place to go. You do not have to remain distant or try to hide. You hide in him. And last, you'll notice joyful celebration. He's been exhausted. He's confessing. He's inviting you. And notice, it's not David who's celebrating here. He says in verse 7, You surround me, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. It's almost like the father in the New Testament, right? He welcomes his prodigal home. You can see him coming off from a distance. And the father just running and rejoicing that his son has come home. That's a small glimpse of what the heart of the father is like. That when you come to him confessing your sin, he's saying, yes, my grace has delivered you from sin's deceit. It's not life-giving. It's life-taking. Yes, my grace is delivering you from sin's power. Yes, my grace has delivered you from sin's penalty. It's God in this text who's rejoicing. 
and the work of grace in your heart. I love it. John Owen again says this. He says, when God forgives, he forgives in a rejoicing, triumphant manner. Do you see God that way? Like, man, when you come to him humbly, broken, confessing your sin, saying, sin has exhausted me, I'm not hiding it, here you go. And the father going, yes, you've come back. We tend to expect, and this was my view of God for so long. If I come back to him, he's going to cross his arms, he's going to look at me in disgust, and he's starting to raise his foot because he's going to kick me off the front porch and never tell me to come, or tell me to never come back. David says, no, no, no. He rejoices over you with shouts. Isn't David a good mentor here in this text? A good discipler? I hope that there could be someone in your life. Maybe it's David through the Psalms, but someone real tangible that can say, here's how sin exhausts me. Let me help you to, to navigate, to figure out how does, how does sin exhaust you? Here's how we can confess our sin together to this Lord. And let me invite you to experience this kind of mercy from God, or maybe you can be that kind of example to someone else. Let me, just, let me just close with this. I promise I'm almost done. When I was 16, I had worked on a farm almost my whole life. I'd never really gotten paid an allowance or anything else like that, a, farm, a cattle farm in southern Indiana. And when I was 16, I'll never forget it, my dad drives up the driveway with a new... Ford Ranger, extended cab. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about here. 33, 12, 50, mud tires on it, massive engine. I'm ready to go mudding, right? Like, oh, my goodness, he got me this truck. And so he gives it to me. He goes, Clay, it's real powerful. You got to take care of this thing. And I'm like, yes. So I'm, first thing I do, I go mudding with my friends. Of course, he tells me to wear a seatbelt. And I'm like, cool people don't wear seatbelts. And so two weeks later, Two weeks. I'm on a gravel road in southern Indiana. Some of you, if you've ever been there, it's really hilly, actually. It seems to be flat in Indiana, but southern Indiana, very hilly. Very curvy roads. And because I'm 16 and I'm awesome, I'm going about 75 miles an hour on a gravel road. I got this. Go around a corner, turn it sideways, just start rolling. Over and over and over and over with my friend in the side. I mean, I felt like I was in a you know, clothes washer, right? Just like, ooh, here we go, right? Now, back in the day, this was, uh, let's see, 1995, okay? And that's like ancient for some of you guys, most of you guys here in this room. You had old bag phones back then, okay? So you had this massive bag, and it had a phone in it. You put the antenna on top of your truck, and I actually had cell phone service in the middle of the boondocks, right? Like, we were in the middle of nowhere. I called my dad. Hey, Dad. Uh, hey, I got stuck in a ditch. Could you come pick me up? Yeah, sure. Sure, buddy. I'll be there in a little while, okay? We were, like, we were in the middle of nowhere. It takes them about an hour, hour and a half to get there. And the whole time, all I can, can review is the fact that, one, I have never been open with my dad. I've never told him about struggles I've had or thoughts I've had. I've just never been open with him because I thought if he really knew kind of things I've done with my friends and all that kind of stuff, I mean, he, he would kick me out of the house, right? Can no longer live on the farm. And this time especially, it was like, he's going to kill me. 
He just bought this for me. It's nice. He warned me every day, and here it is just in pieces on the side of the road. I mean, you can imagine what a truck like that, 75 miles an hour, just rolling, 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 looks like when it's done. I mean, it's upside down. We crawl out of it. Thankfully, we're both okay. Like, man, when he rides, when he comes around that corner, he is going to kill me. He is going to lash out. Like, I'm just envisioning my life is over. My friends all attending my funeral. And I will never forget it. My dad drives around the corner. Now, keep in mind, this is a road that, like, nobody rides on. So in an hour, he was the only car that came by. He looks. He looks at the truck. He looks at me. You okay? I'm okay, Dad. Gets out of the truck. Gives me the biggest hug on the planet. And he says this. At least we're replacing sheet metal. And today I'm not replacing a son. I love you. Let's go get some dinner. What? Where's like the knife coming out like this, right? You know what he told me on the way home? He told me about crashes that he had been in because he was being stupid. And he, he, he told about how his dad responded. You know from that point on, whenever I messed up, I actually told my dad because I know he would show me grace infinitely more so the heart of our Heavenly Father. He doesn't care how far you've run, how bad you've messed up, how dark your heart has become. He says, you bring all your exhaustion from trying to indulge in sin and hide it on your own. You come to me and confess. And I will embrace you and you will hear the words of my mouth. I love you. I forgive you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of Psalm 32. That it's in the Bible for our encouragement. That you really are that merciful. You really are that forgiving. So Father, help us not to hide. Help us not to try to cover it over on our own, but come to you confessing, knowing that we will find mercy, that you're a hiding place for us. If there's any hearts here tonight that need to run to you, give them the grace to do so, and let them find out and experience that you are the safest place on earth. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.